0: good morning. We've got a bunch of extra kids in the room, and so I wanted to include them from the beginning of this message. So kids, I've got a question for you as we begin today, and I want to hear from you. So you can't talk back to me the whole sermon, uh, but you can definitely talk back in the beginning. And the question I have for you is this. Do you have a favorite movie at your house? If you have a favorite movie at your house, would you just shout it at me right now? Thank you, Wesley, my oldest son, Pacific Rim. Anybody else? You can shout it. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So so we're a big movie family. We love going to the movies. We love having movie night at home. We love movie marathons. We're just a movie family. And our movies, they change over time. But there is a kind of a theme attached to a lot of the movies we love in in our household. We love singing movies. So for a while, the favorite movie was Encanto. We don't talk about Bruno. There we go. You guys have watched that too. Um, My my daughter, though, she is loving the new movie, Vivo. Um, But for a while, a while back, the favorite movie in our house was the movie Moana. Um, And so my daughter loves Moana. She's got Moana sheets on her bed. We love the story of this this movie. Um, And within the movie, there is this character that, for me, just is so fascinating. It's the bad guy, quote-unquote, in the movie named Takah. This angry lava demon kind of character, this kind of just angry, angry character. Um, and you don't really know how this character ended up so angry, but what you find as you go through the movie is that this character wasn't always that way. What you find kind of at the you know crescendo of the movie. So spoiler alert. My rule is if it's been out for five years, I can spoil the movie for you. So it's been out for longer than five years. I'm going to spoil it. But at the crescendo, the kind of climax of the movie, one of the characters in a profound act of gentleness gives back this character to Ka, her heart. And this angry, uh, fiery shell, this hard shell, begins to melt away, and this character transforms into an entirely different character. This character right here known as Tefiti. And in this, in this movie, what we see is that an act of gentleness can transform. And I think the same thing is true for you and me. Somebody at a really hard moment in our life has been gentle to us. Or when we're really struggling and someone reaches out to us with gentleness, it has the power to transform us. And so today we're going to talk about this theme of gentleness in this message. But I just want to encourage you, this may be a hard message for you today. Maybe when you saw that we were going to get to this fruit of the spirit here today, you're just like, "Oh, really? Um, does that even work anymore?" Because gentleness, if you haven't figured out, is not the way of our world. We don't live in a gentle world. You know, there were lots of hard moments and lots of non-gentle moments over the last couple of years. But I experienced this amazing moment a couple of years ago. We were just a few months into the pandemic, and I went for a trip, and it was amazing. We pulled up to our destination. We're in the plane. We're pulling up to the jetway, pulling up to the terminal. And the the plane stops, and you can hear the door open, and no one moved. Everyone stayed in their seat. And then, like mature grown-ups, one by one, the rows got up, and they left the plane. It was amazing. I was like, we've all matured. We've all realized that it doesn't matter if you get up right when the plane arrives. You're going to get off at the same time. And so it was, it was this amazing moment. I said, man, I, I hope this continues. Then went another flight three months later. Totally gone. We weren't even stopped yet. And everyone was up in the aisle, you know, elbowing each other, trying to get their bags and get off the plane. See, for, for a lot of us, when we read about gentleness and the fruit of the Spirit, we go... That doesn't work in our world. Maybe it worked in the Bible. Maybe it worked in Jesus' day, but it doesn't work now. If you want to get ahead in the world, you can't be gentle. And so if that's the way you operate mentally, I just want to encourage you today to to just go with me for the next half an hour and and maybe recognize that the way that we are supposed to live in this world is not the way that everyone else is going. And maybe the way that Jesus introduces us is both counterintuitive And better. So, what do we mean when we say gentleness? In the fruit of the Spirit, when the word gentleness is used, it's the Greek word praotes. We translate it as gentleness, and it means meekness, humility, and gentleness. Now, kids, this word is the image of an animal, like a lion or a racehorse, that has been tamed or its will has been broken. Um, if a lion hadn't been tamed, I only want to see it through glass or through a fence. Uh, if if a, a horse hasn't been tamed, if it hasn't had its will broken, I don't want to get on it. But when a horse has been tamed, it can shift from a wild horse to a racehorse, and in the hands of a great jockey, it can be incredibly useful. Now, in the day of Jesus, the dominant thought leader in their day, he was not on Twitter, he wasn't on Facebook, but his thoughts influenced the world, and that was Aristotle. And Aristotle wasn't a big fan of gentleness. He said it's better than being extremely angry, it's better than being apathetic, but he wasn't a big fan of gentleness because, according to the Greeks, real men were neither gentle nor humble. Real men in that era were strong, powerful, and dominant. And as I was talking to some people this week, I think we're more like the Greeks than we realize. For many of us, this is still our image of what it means to be a real man. Real men aren't gentle. Real men aren't humble. Real men that we look up to are strong, they're powerful, and dominant. Except according to Jesus. As Christopher Wright says, that the very things the world mocked, gentleness and humility, Paul affirmed as qualities that make us more like Christ. And today, today, grown-ups in the room, you're gonna have a challenge today. Am I going to live according to the ways and the values of this world, which say that gentleness is not the way you get ahead? Gentleness is not the way you get what you want. Or are you going to live in the way of Jesus? You see, gentleness is not weakness, it's not passive, and it's not not confrontational. I know you shouldn't say not not in a row, but that's just the way the sentence worked out. Because Jesus wasn't these things. Jesus wasn't weak, Jesus wasn't passive, and Jesus didn't run from confrontations. And yet, as we're gonna discover today, he was gentle. So how on earth does God bring gentleness to life within us? Because I think a lot of us, when we think about ourselves, you introduce yourself to somebody, you don't typically say your name and say, hi, here's my name, I'm gentle. <laughs> so if it's not part of you naturally, then how does God bring it to life within you? I think that he does it through three ways. First, if you're taking notes, God acts with gentleness towards us and we surrender ourselves to him in response. God acts with gentleness towards us. We see all throughout the Bible that God has been profoundly gentle to us. In Psalm, the middle of the Bible, Psalm 103, the writer says this He says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. All of us are incredibly fragile, we're more fragile than we realize. Earlier this year, I I had my gallbladder removed, and I was reminded just how fragile my health is. Four little tiny incisions in my belly, and I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go anywhere. I was afraid to cough or laugh or even breathe. I'm more fragile than I realized, and you're more fragile than you realize too. That's why God is so gentle with us. But he isn't just, just gentle with us. See what he says in Matthew 11. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. The word lowly can also be translated gentle. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Kids, yoke is not the yellow stuff in the egg here. Here, That's the other yoke, Y-O-L-K. This yoke was something that uh, animals would have on their shoulders that would help them to do their job. And when Jesus says his yoke is easy, it means following him, the things he calls us to do are not a heavy burden, they're light. And what's so interesting in this text isn't just that Jesus says, hey, I am gentle towards you. He says, I am in terms of my identity. I am lowly. I am gentle, I am humble in heart. So when God responds to us, when he speaks to us, when he interacts with us, he's not only acting with gentleness, he is gentle. And what I find so interesting is that Jesus' posture towards us is very different from our posture to ourselves. All of us have this, uh, this inner voice, you know, that voice in your head, some people call it your conscience or your inner voice or your inner narrator. When you do something good or when you do something bad, when you're not sure if people like you or you're feeling insecure, when, maybe when you start school for the first time, kids, you kind of have this kind of inner voice in your head. And I don't know about you, but my inner voice is not a nice guy. He's an inner critic. He says things that are harsh and mean. And often his voice is nothing like the voice of God. My inner voice is not gentle. My inner voice is a lot like the inner voice of a young man in Luke chapter 15. In Luke 15 in the Bible, Jesus tells three great stories about a woman who loses a coin, about a shepherd that loses a sheep, and about a father who loses a son. The father's son takes his father's wealth, and he goes away, and he spends all the money And then he ends up in a really bad spot, and his inner voice says, I'm no longer worthy to be my father's son. But my father has servants, and at least they have food to eat and a roof over their head, which I don't have right now, so I'll go back home to my dad. And I won't go back as a son. I know he'll never bring me back as a son, but at least maybe I can be a servant. And all along the way, as that young man's going back home, there's an inner voice that says, you're not worthy, you failed, you blew it, he'll never accept you. And the son shows up to his father and he has a great speech prepared. But the text says the father doesn't listen to the speech. Instead, he puts a robe on him, he puts shoes on him, he gives him a beautiful ring, and he throws a big party. The dad was far more gentle with him than he was with himself. And friends, that's God with you and I. God is far more gentle with you than you are with you. Now, one of the reasons why I think this is so hard for us is a lot of us grew up with dads that were far from gentle. Some of you have a hard time even with associating the word God and father together. Because you had a terrible father a father who was far from gentle with you. Maybe he was harsh. Maybe he was even abusive. Well, I just want to ask you a question this morning. What if your dad was not gentle with you? What do you do with that? I mean, how do you ever connect with God as father when your real father, your earthly father, was nothing like God? My answer to that is a lot longer than I can give today. But here's a place I'd encourage you to start. I can't articulate this better than Louis Giglio did. He said, God is not the reflection of your earthly dad, he is the perfection of your earthly dad. Everything that your father was not for you, God is. And every area where your father failed, God has not failed you. In every place that your father wounded you, God can be a source of real and genuine healing. And I just want to open up a vision for you this morning. What if you began to be as gentle with yourself as God is with you? What if that voice in your head began to be gentle, not because you are gentle, but because you began to listen to the gentle voice of God. I think the same kind of transformation that happened in this character, Taka, in Moana, could happen to you. Because I think a lot of us, if we're really honest, when things don't go our way, when, when life doesn't turn out the way we want to, there's a little bit in us that's a little bit like Taka. None of you kind of are throwing, you know, fire at other people. Maybe on social media sometimes, though. You don't feel like you're throwing flames, but when your family gets the worst of you at the end of a long day. And if a small child in a Disney movie can through an act of gentleness transform a character like Takah, I wonder what the grace and gentleness of God could do in your heart. So first and foremost, God acts with gentleness towards us and then his gentleness transforms us as we surrender to him. That's the first thing. Number two, God forms gentleness in us as we grow in three things, self-awareness, humility, and teachability. So if we're not born naturally gentle, God has to form it in us, and he forms it in us, and it happens as we grow in those three areas. Now, right before Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians, he says something really interesting. In Galatians 4.19, he says, my children... I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. Now, Paul does something here that I was taught to never do. As a man, somebody in here is laughing because they know where I'm going. As a man, never ever compare something you're going through to labor pains. (laughs) Because you just don't know. But Paul maybe maybe he's got an insight that I don't. Maybe he's more bold than I am. But he's saying I care so much about you becoming formed into the image of Jesus that I am in suffering. And I'm willing to suffer so that you can become more than you naturally were. And that process is slow. It takes time and it's not easy. What Rich Velotas says about that is he says, we want the gifts of the Spirit to do quickly what the fruit of the Spirit is going to do slowly. We want the gifts of the Spirit to do quickly what the fruit of the Spirit is going to do slowly. If you've ever watched fruit grow, it takes time, weeks, months. Gifts, they arrive quickly. When God gives us gifts, they arrive quickly. I've seen a number of memes in this series I've been collecting. I brought one right here for you. This is kind of how it works. The line for the gifts of the Spirit is really long. The line for the fruit of the Spirit is non existent. You say, Scott, could God just give me the gift of gentleness? Nope. He's not going to give you the gift of patience either. The gift of love? Nope. The gift of self control? Nope. Those are not gifts. Those are fruit, and those are going to be grown slowly. And they're going to be grown as we grow in three areas. First, as we grow in self-awareness. You say, Scott, what's self-awareness? Self-awareness is this. How big is the gap between what you know about you and what they know about you? Who's the they? I don't know. Pick. The person you're sitting next to? People you live with, people you work with. How big is the gap between what you know about you and you see about yourself and what they know about you and they see about yourself? As the gap narrows, we know more of what they know and there are less and less blind spots in your life. It's the same as when you're driving. What happens in your blind spot can, will, and hurt you. I was backing out of Costco yesterday. I looked both ways. I thought I was set. I started backing up. I just had a feeling I needed to stop, and all of a sudden there was a woman right here in my little window just waving at me, and I felt terrible. I almost, almost ran her over. I looked in both of my blind spots. I checked, but apparently I didn't check good enough, and there was a gap between what she saw and what I saw. That's self-awareness, and as you grow in self-awareness, God can bring gentleness out of you because what I've found is the people who have the biggest gaps are often the harshest. Also, God grows us in humility. You say, Scott, what's humility? Humility is to what degree am I aware of my need for grace and to what degree do I feel superior to others? kids, the older you get, the more you're going to realize that you need lots of grace, lots of forgiveness, and lots of second chances. Hopefully your family becomes an environment through the parents that you're here with to help you see that, help you understand that, and have you experience that. But most of the time when we're struggling to be gentle with someone, the reason why is we feel we're better than them. I mean, when you think that you're better than somebody else, you don't often give that person gentleness. When you feel like you deserve grace, but they don't, you don't give them gentleness. But as we grow in our humility and we realize that I'm not better than anybody else and I need just as much grace, if not more than anybody else, that grows our capacity to give gentleness. The third thing is teachability. And teachability is, are you open to being wrong? And how well do you receive correction? I know something about all of you who can hear my voice right now, in the room and watching online. You are wrong about something. Maybe we could just say those words together for a moment. I am wrong about something. I know those are hard words to say, aren't they? But you are. Because you're not God. I won't make make you say that one because I think you already know that. But, But teachability is really, really hard for us, especially the older some of us get. Because for some of us, the older we get, the more we realize we haven't changed our mind about anything in a long time. And those views, which may be wrong, have calcified. They're not flexible anymore. I share about these three qualities, self-awareness, humility, and teachability, not as someone who's better than you, but as someone who has massively failed in all three of these areas. I used to be a very unself-aware, not humble, not teachable person. When I graduated from college, I went to work at a church in Phoenix, and I was going to seminary, and I had to assemble a team of people to help me go through my final year and my practicum, and I asked one of our pastors at our church, our executive pastor, to be on my team. So I sat down with them, had a meeting, kind of went over the requirements said, hey, read this, think about it, pray about it, and I need to hear from you in 48 hours. Well, he emailed me, and he says, Scott, I'm so sorry, I can't help you. And I was surprised because I got a really good vibe in the meeting. I thought that he was asking good questions. And so I sat down with him and I said, hey, I'd love to hear more about why you can't be on my team. He said, okay, I'll tell you. He said, "Uh, I don't feel like you're going to listen to me. He said, because you don't listen to people who are older than you. I'm in my early 40s, you're in your early 20s, and in my experience with you over the last couple years, if somebody's older than you and they disagree with you, you don't listen to them. I was not teachable I tended to judge the truthfulness of the information I was getting the feedback I was getting based on the source and if I didn't like the source nothing they could say to me had to be helpful and he was right that was the hardest part I wish he was wrong I could have just said no you're wrong he was spot on and so God began to use that conversation to break down some walls and some things in me that were arrogant and proud. Fast forward the calendar, five years later, he was resigning from our staff and moving on to a new opportunity. I took him out to coffee again and just, we talked to talk about our friendship over those seven years. And I said, hey, do you remember the conversation we had five years ago? And he had no memory. And I said, well, I did. It changed my life. And I was so grateful for somebody who loved me enough to give me honest, yet gentle feedback to help me grow in my teachability. If you're not gentle, it could be because you're not teachable. And God wants to humble you so that you can become gentle. Here's the third way God grows our gentleness. God enables us to respond with gentleness towards others. You see, as we receive the gentleness of God— and as it begins to do its work in forming us, then when we encounter people that are hard to show gentleness to, God has enabled us and empowered us to give them the gentleness He's given us. And I think there's three groups that are hard for us to be gentle with. The first one is those who don't agree with us. It's really hard for us sometimes to be gentle with people when they say something and we don't agree with it, especially on social media. I mean, you're just minding your business scrolling through, laughing at memes, watching videos, and then somebody says something really idiotic and something comes in you that you have to correct them. And so I just wonder today, what happens inside of you when someone disagrees with you? I mean, what's going on in your heart when somebody says something and you're just like, oh, they're wrong? What begins to bubble up inside of you? I think for a lot of us, two things bubble up anger and fear. And so, if that's the case, and if you get angry when someone disagrees with you, I just want you to ask yourself this question today why am I angry? I've discovered that anger is often a secondary emotion, it's often tied to something that's deeper. And so when you get angry or you get afraid, I want you to pay attention to that because I think it's pointing you to something more significant. In 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone. And just so you know, the Greek word for everyone means the same thing as the English word, everyone. Able to teach and patient. And don't worry, it gets worse. Paul says, instructing his opponents with gentleness, not just his friends. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. See, I wish Paul had just said, hey, show gentleness to the people who agree with you, who are on your side. Show gentleness just to the people who are easy to show gentleness to. But he doesn't. He says, show gentleness to everyone, and when even you correct or instruct people who are wrong, do so with gentleness. And that requires a certain point of view. It requires the point of view that Stanley Hauerhaas talks about. He says, Do I see an enemy who needs to be defeated, or do I see a wound that needs to be healed? When someone is wrong, or I disagree with them. When I look at them, do I see someone for me to defeat and beat in a battle, or do I see someone who has a wound who needs to be healed? This is where I'm going to go back to the kids' movie for a second again. If you were watching this movie, you might just see an angry character who's a villain, who's getting in the way of the hero, but the true story is this character has been deeply wounded. You might go, what's wrong with Takah? but you'd be better off to ask what happened to Takah. With the people who disagree with you and maybe you're in a fight with, maybe instead of asking the question what's wrong with them, for them to think that, maybe you could ask what happened to them that led them to think about that. If we stop seeing our enemies as people to be defeated and we start seeing them as people with wounds to be healed, we might begin to see them more the way God does second group it's hard to show gentleness to is those who correct us i can tell you i like a lot of things in the world more than being corrected a lot of things almost all the vegetables in the world i like more than being corrected but here's what proverbs says about correction says poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline but the one who accepts correction will be honored Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but the one who hates correction is stupid. And yes, kids and parents, I did use the S word in church this morning. But just so you know, the other S word is in the Bible too. It's in Philippians and the Greek, so I chose the nicer word. See, what, Paul, what the writer of Proverbs is saying is that when God allows someone in our life who corrects us, we can either view that as a gift or we can view that as a curse. When somebody corrects you, you can either say, thank you, you've given me a gift to see what was in my blind spot that I wasn't aware of or you can say, no thank you, I hate you, you've, you've tried to curse me. Getting corrected, in my experience at least so far, my life doesn't get easier the older you get. But what I have found is that gentleness empowers us to be grateful rather than angry and defensive in the face of correction because we don't receive the gentleness of God apart from correction. God is gentle with us, but he's also honest with us in the midst of that. So we have those that we don't agree with, we have those that don't, that correct us, and then we have those that let us down. And this is where I want to talk about family. To all the parents in the room, your kids are going to let you down. I know you know this. Your kids are not always going to listen to you. I know, it's a shocking, shocking thing. They're not always going to do what you tell them is the right and wise thing to do. And what you do in that moment when your kids let you down The words you speak have the power to shape their world. All of us are the kid of somebody. And if you're a big kid today, a grown-up, I want you to think about the words that your parents spoke to you. Do you remember a word they spoke to you in anger? Something they said about you? That was spoken in a moment, but has been with you for a lifetime? this week I was literally rehearsing this message with our staff and somebody sent me a text message from that day nine years ago and I about like stopped my run through because apparently nine years ago on that day this is what I said your life is the loudest sermon your children will ever hear parents, your life is the loudest sermon your kids will ever hear. So when they let you down, you have a profound opportunity. Kids, when you use social media, I want to encourage you to watch your words. We have seen over the last couple years a spike in online bullying, speech online that hurts other kids, And just so you know, if you use an app like Snapchat or TikTok and you think it has disappeared or gone away, it has not. Everything you post on the internet is there forever. So watch your words. In Galatians 6, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What do you do when somebody around you has made a mess of things, you you gently restore them? What do you do when you've made a mess of things? That's what happened to young Melissa. Melissa came into her mom and knocked on the door. Her mom was a little bit annoyed because she was busy. Kids always interrupt you when you're in the middle of something. And Melissa's mom was actually working on writing a Bible study about gentleness. And Melissa knocked on the door. Mom, I need you. And so she stopped, not not happily, more begrudgingly. And she went into Melissa's room and she said, what's up, Melissa? She said, my hair. She said, "I, I was combing it a few days ago. I was brushing it and I got a knot in it. And I tried really hard to get the knot out, but it wouldn't come out, so I just left it. And every day, the knot has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And and now I can't, I can't even comb any of my hair. And so she gave her mom her brush, and Melissa's mom began to brush her hair. And her mom realized that the knot was so bad that she thought she was gonna have to cut off her hair at the scalp. And she had long, beautiful hair. She said, Melissa, if you let me brush your hair. It's going to take a long time and it's going to be really painful. She said, I know, Mom, it's okay. So Melissa's mom started just brushing her hair, one hair at a time. And Melissa, at a couple points, started crying. And as a parent, if your child is crying, you want to stop what you're doing. And she said, Melissa, should I stop? And she said, no, Mom, don't stop. And so she kept brushing her hair and 30 or 45 minutes later, she finally got all of the knot out. Friends, I think a lot of us are like Melissa. We've got our hair and our life in a mess of a knot. And we've been doing our best to untangle it. But at a certain point, the knot gets so big that you know you can't untangle it anymore. The good news I have for you today is there is a God who can unknot your life. And because he is so gentle, he is trustworthy for you to hand the brush to, to trust him with it. So this morning, I have some practices for us and these are designed so all of us can participate. First one, I want to invite you this week to apologize to a family member you've wronged. All of us struggle with the reality that the people who are closest to us often get the worst versions of us and so parents if you haven't apologized to your kid in a memory period you can remember you're overdue if you don't believe you should apologize to your kids find me in the lobby afterwards we can have a conversation about that no i really i really believe there's some parents who don't think they should ever apologize to their kids But your kids will not listen to the words you speak. They will watch the life you live. And if you want to raise a child who's gentle and humble, you have to model that. Kids, maybe you need to apologize to your parents or to a sibling. Number two, this week I want to invite you to replace the phrase, what's wrong with them, and replace it with the phrase, I wonder what happened to them. Whether you go home and watch Moana or not, that's up to you. But I want you to remember that everybody ends up the way they are for a reason. And you can look at people and say, hey, what's wrong with them? Or you can say, you know what? I wonder what happened to them. And I wonder what God might want to heal in them. And then finally, three, I want to encourage you to identify the mess you've made and invite God into it with you because God is worthy of the trust of giving him the brush. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are gentle with us. You're more gentle with us than we are with ourselves. You're more gentle with us than others have been with us. And we pray that that gentleness might transform us. Jesus, I pray for the people who are in this room or who are watching who have made a mess of things. Their inner voice is far from gentle, and maybe they're feeling discouraged or despairing because they're not sure how they're going to clean up the mess. They're afraid that if anybody knew what they knew, they would get a, a response that's far from gentle. And I pray that they might see, Lord, that you are a father who is trustworthy to run to. You are a Father who responds not with condemnation to those who come brokenhearted and repentant, but gentle. And you meet us with your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, and you gently take us where we are, and you don't leave us there. You transform us. I pray that we might experience your gentleness in a world that is so harsh. And that because we've experienced your gentleness, we might begin to be gentle with ourselves and gentle with others. Right now, with every eye closed, I, I just felt led as I was putting together this message that there might be some of you in this room or watching who who needed this message because of the mess that you've made. And if that's you, I just want you, if you're in the room, if you can, just to raise your hand right now. You need prayer. If you're watching online, is that you? You need prayer. You need the gentleness of God. You need his response to the mess you've made. If that's you, I just want to pray for you right now. Jesus, I pray for my friends who've made a mess of things. I pray that you might be near them, that you might be close to them, that they might turn to you and invite you into the mess they've made. I pray that as they surrender to you, they might experience your gentle grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. I pray that you would not leave them where they are, but like that mother who brushed her daughter's hair, that you might slowly and tenderly begin to heal and transform and shape them. I pray that they might come to you and experience you for who you really are. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We've intentionally